Hello, this is The Ready Room, the Trucks and Sci-Fi Microcast. My name's Kenny, and I play Captain Nathaniel Quinn, also Nicholas Took of the USS Arabella. As you can hear, I am solo today. Rick, Jin, and myself are just extremely busy these days, and can't seem to find a common day to get together and record these. Uh, so instead of not doing a ready room, we figure we'll just do a podcast of just post readings. And when we can find time to get together, we will actually sit down and do commentary on the story so far. But for now, it will just be post readings. Um, I know a lot of you guys enjoy those, um, and they are fun to listen to to keep everyone up to date on what's happening on the Trucks and Sci-Fi RPG game. So sit back and let's take a listen to the story so far. Accessing library computer data. Initiating the story so far. Enter when ready. Lights, called Galdor as he entered the suite that was to be his home. The illumination in the living area rose as he stepped into its center and looked about. The room was empty and the doorways to both sets of sleeping quarters and the bathroom were open. Presumably the unnamed ensign, who was already quartered here, was at his duty station for the duration of the alert. Crew quarters on an intrepid weren't as cramped as those on a defiant, but for an ensign or senior chief, space was limited and personal were required to share. With this in mind, Galdar had entered the room with some trepidation. As he looked thoroughly around the sparse, empty quarters, however, he felt himself relax and a smile spread slowly across his face. Little evidence could be seen that a human already lived here and the room looked as tidy as Galdar's starbase quarters had been. Couch and chairs were clear of the discarded clothing and debris that Galdar usually associated with human habitation, and those items that were visible in the room were neatly stacked or stored. There were no pictures on the walls and no ornamentation upon any of the surfaces. Still smiling, he crossed to each of the sleeping quarters and peered around the threshold. One of the beds had been slept in, though this was barely perceptible. His back sat in the center of the other room. Guiltily, Galdar moved to the storage facility in the occupied room and actuated one of the drawers. It opened silently at his touch and revealing articles of neatly folded clothing, positioned regularly and evenly so as to make the best use of the available space. Checking another, he found a similar agreement of folded garments and a large candle of some sort. He'd seen one very similar to this in a corner of Commander Roderick's office on the station. He'd always assumed it to be Vulcan. Moving back to his own sleeping area, he could feel drowsiness creeping upon him again. He sat on the edge of a bed, stifling a yawn, and pulled at his tunic, intending to strip down properly for bed. Meeting resistance, he looked down and for the first time saw the face of burn across his shoulder that Eric James had noted earlier. He tucked experimentally and noted, in an abstract manner, how the melted material appeared to have fused into the skin of his shoulder. It didn't particularly hurt, but it was clear he wasn't going to sort it out here and now. It would wait. As he collapsed onto the bed, it wasn't so much sleep that claimed him as unconsciousness. James here, Eric responded to Catan while still on the bridge. We've had a security breach and a serious breakdown of the chain of command. Dunn is now en route to place DeCallan under house arrest until we can get this all sorted. I could use your help keeping an eye on Joseph while I look into how far this breach goes and the cause of the breakdown. We will need some answers for the captain before he arrives and we don't have much time. Lester didn't think he was too keen at all. There was an emergency on board and he wanted to help. Yes, his shift didn't start for over an hour, but it was logical to increase manpower in these situations, wasn't it? Obviously, security didn't think so. 
At least they were gracious enough not to report him to the duty engineering officer in charge, Lester contemplated and slipped out a good dose of human sarcasm before sheepishly turning his head to see if anybody had noticed. He stopped at the door of his quarters ready to disengage the lock when he noticed the door wasn't actually locked. Although personnel were not required to lock their doors, he always felt a desire to keep his living areas private and never left them unlocked. Hesitating, he found himself wishing he was armed. Computer, are there any unauthorized personnel in my quarters? He said, expecting the worst. His right hand began to tighten into a nervous fist while he reached for his communicator with his left. Negative, responded the computer. I see, he whispered. Perhaps in making a decision to volunteer his services against his instincts, he had just forgotten to lock his door in his elevated emotional state. Lester eased his body out and exhaled in relief. His grip relaxed and became an outstretched index finger reaching for the door mechanism. Entering, he passed the vacant suite next to his bedroom and headed for the wash basin. came the sound that could only have come from inside the room. Lester didn't like feeling emotional at the best of times, and fear was as distasteful as they came. Turning his back to the wash basin wall, he picked up a hairbrush, the best weapon to hand. Computer, you told me my quarters were empty, he whispered. Incorrect, the computer retorted. Anger began to manifest itself in Lester, having the effect of dampening the fear just a little. You inquired if there were any unauthorized personnel in these quarters. There are no unauthorized personnel in these quarters, the disembodied voice continued. Very well, he said. Either it was Lester or the computer that wasn't functioning correctly, and he wasn't sure which. Came the sound once more. That was real, Lester was convinced. Without the thought and relying only on adrenaline, he rushed towards the sound, the spare suite. What? Lester shouted as his eyes gazed upon the source of the moaning. On the bed in a disarranged state was a diminutive figure in a Starfleet uniform. The diminutive blonde set an icy gaze on the baby-faced lieutenant. I don't care who sent you down here, Mr. Dunn. He's not leaving sickbay. He may be under arrest, but he's my patient, and I'm not releasing him until he's made a complete recovery. Lieutenant Dunn raised his hands in surrender. I haven't come to take him away, Doctor. Commander DeCon is under house arrest, and right now, Sickbay is his house. He cast a nervous glance to Lieutenant Commander Catan, then back to Dr. Dredd, who was positioned between Joseph DeCon and three security officers who had come to arrest their commanding officer. Someone just tried to kill him. If anything, you three should be here to protect him from whoever has infiltrated this ship. She had honestly tried to quench the red-hot anger that annealed her composure, but the fact that Lieutenant Commander James was the one who had ordered the arrest kept her from achieving an even calm. The pulse of the silent red light tinted the shuttle bay as Eric entered to meet Quinn's recently landed shuttle. Eric's mind was a blur of sensor information from his connection to the ship. His eyes had taken on a slightly dazed look, while he split his attention between the crew and the ship. Security had been breached, and until they can determine the extent, they had to use every edge to their advantage. Eric smiled to himself as the doors to the shuttle 
slowly opened with a slight hiss of the atmosphere between ship and shuttle equalizing. When Nathan emerged from the doorway, Eric nodded slowly, his left hand hanging on to a pad that contained his reports. Welcome aboard, Captain. I hope your trip was more uneventful than our situation here. Quint exited the shuttlecraft with Took close behind. He didn't say anything to James at first, not exactly sure how he was going to proceed. Nathan kept his mind closed tight, not wanting to expose his anger or displeasure with his XO. He was not happy with the events that had happened during his leave and under the command of Mr. James. But he also wanted to hear all the details before passing judgment. As he approached Eric, Quinn gave him a quick smile. The trip was... He paused for a moment. Relaxing. But we have much more important things to talk about. Nathan turned to Nick and gave him a kiss on the cheek. I'll see you in a few. I have some business to take care of. Took chuckled to himself as he gave Eric a nod as he passed by him, exiting the shuttle bay. Quinn walked toward the exit. Walk with me, Mr. James. Eric nodded and fell in step beside the captain. Glad to, Captain. There's a lot that you need to be brought up to speed on. Judge DeCarlo came to from his slumber but kept his eyes closed. He could hear the angry tone of Dr. Drett. He slowly opened his eyes and rolled them from side to side, searching for the reason for her tone. The good doctor looked quite formidable standing between he and Lieutenant Dunn. Ah, Mr. Dan Dooney's duty, he whispered to Catan, who was nearest to him. Lieutenant Commander Catan glanced down at Joseph. His mouth moved slightly to form words that could not be heard. The Chief of Security slowly heaved himself up and glared at Christopher Dunn. What's going on here, Lieutenant? Lieutenant Commander James has ordered you to be detained, pending an investigation. Lieutenant Dunn gave Ryla a nod and offered Joseph a sympathetic smile. Sorry, sir. Why? asked the Trill, the anger now saturated with shock. She turned her eye from Dunn to Colin. The question hung in the air as the three officers stared down at Joseph. The hiss of the sickbay doors broke the silence, and a Ferengi shuffled in. Ryla turned to see a nurse greet him and show him to a bio-bed. Darius went down the last hallway in his assigned section. It was clear. The ensign breathed a sigh of relief. That turned into an iceberg in his guts. A stray memory from earlier, when he'd run down this exact hall. The memory of a prone starbase tech laying across the floor, sticking out of an access panel with his shoulders swallowed in the darkness. Come on, Shane, think. What was that tech doing? What runs through here? He closed his eyes and thought back to the schematics he'd studied on the trip from Earth. The answer froze him in place. Right on the other side of that panel was the primary conduit, and the secondaries for the emergency warp core ejector. The possibilities for sabotage boggled his mind. Dropping to one knee, he found the panel stuck in place. It didn't open at the first attempt, or the second. It had been sealed shut. Cross it, he muttered under his breath. Reaching up under his uniform tunic, he drew the highly unregulation Durasteel blade he carried and wedged it into the seam. A few moments later, the blade snapped clean in half, but the panel finally fell open. Sticking his head in, Darius gave it a once-over. He was no engineer, but he knew what to look for. Nothing wrong in here. Falling back on his haunches, Darius's comm badge beeped. We show you at an open panel, Ensign. Report, came the security officer's voice. 
He tapped the badge. Situation normal. I opened the panel to check a hunch, but it was clean. Acknowledged. We'll cancel the alarm. Oh, be advised. DeCollin's been placed on house arrest in sickbay. Dunn's taken over until further notice. The boss is... What? That doesn't make any sense. Commander James ordered it. All we know. Darius let slip his feelings about Commander James without bothering to close the com badge. Colorful descriptions don't help the situation, Ensign, the man at the other end replied stonily. No, but they make me feel better, Darius thought. Right. Sorry. Anyway, my route's clear. Instructions? Stay ready for now. Security out. The badge fell silent. Darius played over recent events in his head. First, Takalan was poisoned on the station. Second, all hell breaks loose on same station. Third, operatives from 31 show up and try to take charge of the situation. Fourth, they had an inordinate amount of interest in Takalan. If the boss wasn't 31, he was close to them. And 31 didn't believe in loose ends. Growling every curse word he could think of, Darius bolted for his quarters. He'd need his old duty harness and its wizard's bag of tricks. If someone was coming for the boss, he wanted to be ready. Sitting on the bio bed waiting for attention, Galdra surveyed the occupants of sickbay with some concern. The presence of medical personnel was clearly normal, but the free armed guards spaced around the room worried him. Not to mention the lieutenant talking with one of the doctors and a rather severe-looking lieutenant commander. Sickbay wasn't a recognized alert duty station for the chief tactical officer, yet here was a man who could only be Katan. Thankfully, the guards weren't here for him. They raised no protest at his being armed when Ensign Garris brought him in, and the commander appeared to be ignoring him completely. They offered an unwanted edge of mystery, though, that was only somewhat offset by the reassuring presence of Joseph de Cullen. He lay in a bed on the other side of the facility, but even there, something was wrong. The last time he'd seen the con, the human had been departing the starbase for the planet's surface, so shouldn't have been here at all. As he waited, Galda reflected on his first hours aboard the Arabella. He'd had an unprecedented amount of attention due to his men of arrival. He'd been up before the acting first officer on an informal disciplinary matter. He was probably suspected of collusion in who knows what, and was now waiting for someone to come and help him remove his gloves. Under different circumstances, the last of this could be... He winced as he chuckled involuntarily, the movement it created in his shoulder causing his uniform to pull at the fused area. He was feeling more discomfort now and was worried that the charred skin of a wound was starting to come away from the rest of his shoulder. The suspicious dampness at the top of his arm did little to ease that feeling. He whimpered quietly. A tall man sat alone in his cell, staring at the blue force field before him. Just beyond it, a Starfleet intelligence officer stared back at him. The incarcerated man rose and approached, the energy causing the hair on his arms and neck to stand as he stepped closer to the force field. The information you provided was helpful, but your former minder remains at large. The man in the cell scoffed. <laughs> I didn't expect you to find Gaius, and if you had, you would have been dead before you felt the burn of the blade as it slipped across your throat. He scratched his chin. But you tracked down Theron somehow, didn't you? Yes. We have agents in the field after him now. What do you know of Coram de Collin? Asked the smaller-framed SI agent. The prisoner eyed him a moment in silence. 
Remember, your cooperation will clear her, said the agent, his tone sounding like disapproval. Against my better judgment, I've added two friends. If I knew who this Karam was, I would have told you what I knew about him before I ever turned on them. Would Dennis? The prisoner straightened at the inquiry, which made the agent smile. We found his program in the mainframe of the Arabella during repairs. Dennis has quite an extensive database of 31 knowledge, which is one of the reasons why we acted as quickly as we have. He narrowed his eyes. Too many spies have slipped in and out of this crew, all acting under the assumption that they were but shadows to us. Too good to be detected by the likes of Starfleet intelligence. Encrypted messages can be decoded. A grin formed on the agent's face. <laughs> but you already know that, don't you? At that, the man behind the field looked down at his feet. Well, I have a mission to direct. I'll leave you to your thoughts. I'm sure you have some details to recall for the next time I come, said the agent. As always, I appreciate your cooperation. I'm sure that Theron will thank you too, once we bring him in. Ryla looked once more at the Ferengi, then back to the three officers. No one had answered the question she posed and no one would tell her why Joseph was being arrested. She wondered if Lieutenant Commander James had overstepped his authority on the matter. She glanced to Catan. She hadn't known him long enough to understand what his various facial expressions meant, but the one he wore now hinted that he knew more than he was telling. Fine. Gentlemen, if you'll excuse me, I have another patient to take care of, and I don't want to keep him waiting. She stooped to pick up an empty bottle that Joseph had dropped on the floor in an effort to hide it from her earlier, and handed it to Catan. Maybe next time you'll bring one of these for me. Ryla crossed the floor to meet the Ferengi who patiently waited for medical attention. Zero point power system is online, the computer of the Zephyr said in Rory's voice. It was one of the few conceits that she allowed herself when aiding her father in the construction of the new shuttle. The diamond-shaped craft was far smaller than the Aurora, and closer to a Type 1 shuttle pod in size. It was built for speed and maneuverability with limited weaponry. While it was warp-capable, it was designed to reach Warp 5 at best. Miniaturization and advances since the time of the NX-01 had allowed the Zephyr to pack much more in a smaller frame. Rory sat in the co-pilot's chair, located directly behind and above the pilot's seat, and tested the warp coils. She had heard the alert and chosen to remain at her station. Every inch of available space was put into use for the prototype and designed to support up to four crew in minimal comfort. The design of the craft gave it a low sensor profile and, size for size, the ship held more RCS thrusters than any other shuttle in use. In theory, this made it the most maneuverable craft in the fleet. But it was a theory that had yet to be tested outside of the simulator. The limited weapon systems were complete, but still offline. There was still so much to do. Rory smiled to herself as the systems went green from the active power core. Computer, initiate connection to the Arabella's primary computer core and begin download of star charts and systems information. Also, update beta software with current LCARS. Working, replied the Zephyr's computer. Rory slid out of her chair and took a seat on the edge of the rear bench, where the girls had fallen asleep. Although holograms normally did not get tired, she felt that way. It was something that her father had chosen to incorporate into her design, and she cherished her ability to sleep and dream. It made her feel more Elorian. Rory stroked the hair of her sister and closed her eyes. Computer, wake me in ten minutes and begin reboot when transfer is complete. 
that's a nasty wound you have there. Why didn't you come to see me as soon as you came aboard, Ensign? asked Ryla as she stepped to the Ferengi's bedside. Ah, I was otherwise occupied at the time, he apologized. So much so that I uh, didn't notice the problem. He winced again as the doctor gently probed the area. Since then, I uh, seem to have been catching up on my sleep. Without pausing in her work, Ryla gave Galdarf Ferengi rule of acquisition number 93 in his own tongue. She cleared her throat as she opened the tricorder. <clears throat> Act without delay. The sharp knife cuts quickly. Galdar opened his mouth and closed it, giving his comm badge a startled glare, as if accusing the Universal Translator of tricking him. Looking up again, he caught the doctor's eye and saw the suppressed mirth. I bow to your obvious wisdom, doctor, he said gravely. As long as the knife is cutting uniform and not the skin of my shoulder, that is. He tried for a brave smile, but felt he achieved little more than a weak grimace. Ryla smiled at his remark as she passed the tricorder over him. After a moment, she looked up to meet his nervous brown eyes. We haven't been properly introduced. The medical tricorder whirred softly as she continued. Lieutenant Ryla Dredd, Assistant Chief Medical Officer. I'd shake your hand, but that should probably wait until I've repaired the damage you sustained. She set the tricorder aside, removed a dermal regenerator from its place, and activated it. A tingling sensation touched Galdar's shoulder as the device mended the ugly wound. There you go. Good as new. The trill put the implement down and offered her hand to the Frangi. And you are? Galdar. S uh, Lieutenant Ensign Galdar. Shuttle pilot. He paused, releasing her hand and then flexed his arm, exercising his repaired tissues. Until today, I was assigned to the Starbase. Today, I joined the crew of the ship. He glanced sidelong at Catan and the guards. Tomorrow may bring other surprises. <laughs> Reaching round with his good arm, he gingerly touched his shoulder, almost caressing the smoothness of the newly restored orange skin. Uh, it appears that I may also need a new uniform. Ryla picked up an imaginary piece of lint on his jacket. I don't know. While gross, this bloody tunic has sort of an edgy appearance. It may get you an eelwasser on the house if you swing by the afterburner. The doctor suspected the wound he obtained had something to do with the alert status that they were currently under. It was possible she could find out more about what was going on, but there was a reason why she was being kept in the dark, and her 300 years of experience told her to wait until it had been volunteered. That, and she trusted Catan. Rather than press Galdar further, she decided to let it go for now. The corridors of the Arabella still glowed red, indicating the ship's alert status as Lester made his way from sickbay. He didn't enter the medical center, instead depositing Ensign Galdar just outside. His presence was unnecessary, and it would contravene the ship's current alert status. At least that's the explanation he gave to his new Ferengi roommate. There was no need to inform Galdar of his dislike of Starfleet Medical and its various divisions. With the immediate crisis of escorting the injured ensign to medical attention over, Garrus began to ponder the revelation that his quarters were no longer his own. It was a situation he had never considered. During his service on Starbases it was never an issue, due to their size every crew member had the luxury of their own personal living space, however small, regardless of rank. The shadow of insecurity began to waft itself around Lester's psyche like a wailing banshee, raising his pulse and he began to lose control. 
He felt the need to hurry and began to walk at such a pace for the turbo lift at the end of the corridor that he was practically running. His vision blinkered, all he could see were the turbo lift doors getting closer and closer when all of a sudden the doors opened, attempting to allow a passenger to exit. Being too close and moving too quickly to stop, they collided, knocking Lester down on his rear and initiating a loud grunt from the passenger, whose build being larger than Lester's saved them from the humiliation of being knocked down. I'm... I'm sorry. I didn't see you there. I was... Lester stuttered. You were ordered to quarters, Ensign. What is your business here? The passenger interrupted. Recognising the voice, Lester looked up to see the figure of the security officer he had encountered earlier and knew he had some explaining to do. The Trill left her tricorder and examined it once more through narrowed eyes. Have you been consorting with any Orion women lately? Doctor? The Ferengi almost squeaked. No, uh, no, I haven't. That is, I never, uh, that isn't to say I wouldn't. <laughs> His mouth clamped shut and he colored slightly, looking rapidly from left to right to see who was listening. He took a deep breath, and his face took on a guarded look. Forgive me, Doctor, but uh, are you attempting humor at my expense? Ryla lifted her pale brown eyes from the tricorder at the sound of Galdar's embarrassed gasp. She shook her head and slowly smiled. Not at all, Ensign Galdar. Please forgive me. I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable. She turned the device in her hands to share the data with the Ferengi patient. My findings indicate that your opocantus levels have peaked. She closed the tricorder and pocketed it before returning to the dermal regenerator to the table. Orion pheromones are known to cause that. You may feel exceedingly weary after the effects have worn off. It's a side effect. Individuals who've been subjected to these chemicals are highly susceptible to suggestion... Do you recall doing anything out of the ordinary today? Galdar blinked and looked over at Joseph de Callan for a moment before returning his attention to the doctor. With a small smile, he shook his head slightly before speaking. Doctor, most of what has taken place since I came off shift has been out of the ordinary, with the exception of packing my bag for transfer. Finding the shuttle bay empty when I went looking for Nick, that was unusual. He paused. Then when uh, Mr. DeCallum's brother and I were talking, all hell broke loose on the station. That was distinctly unusual. A running phaser fight on the station isn't normal either. Lieutenant Dunn, overhearing the conversation, stepped to Ryla's side and inter interrupted. How long have you known Lieutenant Commander DeCallum's brother, Ensign? Galdar looked at him blankly for a moment before speaking. Well, sir, I, I never actually met him until today. Rubbing his eyes with the heels of his hands, he tried again, an edge of uncertainty creeping into his voice. Thinking about it, I didn't know the lieutenant commander had a brother until today. He paused once more and then said very softly, I am, if I'm totally honest, I don't actually know that the lieutenant commander does have a brother. His hands dropped to his lap and he looked questionably at the two lieutenants. Does he? He whispered. Decalan eyeballed Dunn, who hovered over Goldar. Earning your new peeps, hi, Chris. Dunn straightened and quickly turned back to the lieutenant commander. I am sorry, sir, but it's Commander James's orders that I investigate. Decalan looked up at Catan, who raised an eyebrow. Did you hear that, mate? I'll tell you what, Chris. I've got another pole here that needs greasing if you fancy coming over and having a look. Catan coughed and turned to Hardy's sneaker as Dunn began to look flushed. Sir, I'm sorry, but... Decalan butted in. Ah! 
No need to apologise, mate. I like nothing more than to be confined to my bed surrounded by burly red shirts. But do you know what really grinds my wheels? Dunn shook his head and let out a quiet answer. No, sir. The colonel leant forward. The fact he didn't even bring me any gripes. It was apparent by Dunn's expression that he was hurt by the chief of security's accusations. Riley could understand Joseph's frustration, but his manner was atypical and his anger was misdirected. I don't mean to interrupt your small talk, gentlemen, but I do have other patients here in sickbay. Your elevated voices awake them. And Joseph, if you don't tone it down, I'll inject you with something stronger than the ale you just downed. Dunn and DeCallan glared at one another a moment before the young lieutenant turned back to the Ferengi ensign. Yes, Mr. DeCallan has a brother, he said in a hushed voice, and you may have unwittingly aided and abetted him. Ryla narrowed her eyes in thought. Unwittingly aided and abetted him? Dunn turned to look at the doctor and paused, deciding whether or not he had said too much in front of her. Um, he uh, may have helped an operative board the ship and disable half the station's shuttle base. Well, I think Mr. Galdar may have been chemically influenced by his operative. I found evidence that indicates as much. If this person was the same individual who poisoned Joseph, I wouldn't be surprised if he has the ability to synthesize Orion pheromones. Christopher nodded. That could explain why the guards were so lax in their duties in the transporter room. Blinking in confusion, Galdar spoke up. Uh, the commander's brother was with me and the shuttle bays were disabled. Lieutenant Andrews made that call from the Tellarite shuttle. We both heard him and saw the older man board the shuttle with him before it escaped the bay. An older man? Is that so, said Dunn. Does Lieutenant Commander James know this? I've informed him of Lieutenant Andrews' involvement, but I haven't provided a more detailed report yet. As for Mr. DeCallan, he departed before the Commander James could get any useful information from him, replied Galdar. Dunn stepped back, and with a nod of approval from Ryla, moved into the office tapping his badge. Galdar heard the muted tones of Eric James on the end of the channel, but couldn't make out the detail of what was said. Even Ferengi ears had their limits. Eric walked quietly out of the shuttle bay with the captain beside him. His eyes held a distant look as he continued to maintain his link with the Arabella. The halls of the ship were clear of traffic. Those that were not on duty were in their quarters, and that gave him the liberty that was needed to talk. What is going on with my ship, Mr. James? Quinn asked as they walked. Eric sighed. You should not have come back. Everything is fine and being handled. Quinn stopped and faced Eric, his brow raised. Fine, Eric? Why is it that the Delta Shift Commander had to inform me of what has been going on here? This isn't how I like seeing my ship run. My XO should have brought these things to my attention. Eric nodded slowly and considered his words carefully before speaking. I should have monitored the communication channel sooner. You should have been able to enjoy your vacation while we sorted things out. Quinn shook his head and continued to walk down the corner. Have you forgotten, Mr. James, that this is my ship? If there's a problem with it, then I should know immediately. Anything else is unacceptable, Quinn said as he stopped again and turned to face his acting XO. Have we given you more responsibility than you can handle with this position? Are you distracted by your personal life? Something isn't adding up. Nor should it be, Captain. Eric took another slow breath and met the man's eyes. 
His mind was abuzz with the raw data he received from the ship. It was white noise of controlled chaos with James at the center. It is possible that we have a cloaked agent from Section 31 aboard the ship. This isn't the first time that some of the crew has had contact with 31. We need to be very thorough in every step that is taken and what we say. A very thorough investigation is currently being conducted and DeColin has been arrested and relieved of duty as part of that investigation. Everything is completely under control. Captain, I am asking for your trust and patience while this investigation is concluded. The ship is not the Tiberius. Everything that I have done and will do is in the best interest of this ship and her crew. Would it be too much to ask for you to get back on that shuttle and finish your vacation while I see this through? Nathan looks stunned. <laughs> Are you serious? You want me to turn around and head back to August 2 and pretend that none of this happened? I thought you knew me better, Mr. James. Quinn turned away from the man standing in front of him and continued to walk into the turbo lift. Eric entered right behind him. Bridge, Nathan said as the door slid shut. He turned back to Eric. As for trusting you, Mr. James, I trusted you enough to make you my first officer, but I'm currently regretting that decision. The door slid open onto the bridge. Nathan and Eric exited and headed toward the captain's ready room. Quinn entered, walked over to the desk, and sat down. Eric stood rigid on the opposite side of the desk. Now, Mr. James, I want to know what's happening on my ship, and I want to know now. Captain, as much as I would like to explain all of this to you, I can't. Eric sighed. He knew his duty, and as much as he wanted to fill Quinn in, that very duty prevented it. I'm under orders to not to speak to you on this matter. Nathan sat, lips pressed tightly together. Orders? Whose orders? Quinn demanded. Eric's eyes shifted from Quinn's for just a moment. I'm sorry, sir, but I cannot give you that information. Quinn stood and walked over to Eric and stood inches from his face. I am your captain, and this is my ship. If someone is giving my officer orders, I insist on knowing who it is. Eric did not move. Sir, please, he said quietly. Nathan stepped back and took a deep breath. I'm sorry, Mr. James, but I do not like not knowing what is happening on my own ship. Nathan focused his entire mind into Eric's. James was trained in telepathy, but was no match for his captain. The wall surrounding his secrets dropped and Quinn delved further into the recess of Eric's mind. Images of unrelated events touched Quinn's thoughts. Aria, a beautiful woman Nathan did not know. Savril, but he did not take any notice of them as he did not want to invade Eric's privacy. He was looking for one thing and he was about to find it. Suddenly, as if hit by a wall, white noise filled Quinn's mind. Nathan staggered a little at the amount of information he was receiving, but none of it made sense. It sounded as if it was a binary code. Nathan withdrew his mind from Eric's. Very well, Commander. You leave me no choice. Quinn pressed his comm badge. Captain to security. Please report to my ready room immediately. Nathan got a response. On our way, Captain. Moments later, two men entered the room. Nathan turned to them. I want you to place Mr. James in the brig for subordination. Quinn turned his back on Eric and stood in front of the portal, looking out at the stars as the two men escorted Eric out of the ready room. Alright, so that's going to do it for this week's The Ready Room. I would like to thank our writers for this week, Feathers, Just X, Dangelus, Jen, Star Trek Fanatic 5, Hawkeye Meds, and Dinghead. Thanks, guys. Also, I want to thank this week's readers, Cosmonaut, Billy Bob, 
Vangelis, Jen, Star Trek Phonetic 5, Hawkeye Meds, Dinghead, and Moyer777. Thanks to all of our writers and readers. So that's going to do it for this week's The Ready Room. I'm Kenny, hailing frequencies closed. The Ready Room theme and other RPG music was composed by Rick Moyer. All other music was obtained through the Podsafe Music Network. Read more about the adventures of the USS Arabella at treksandsci-fi.com. Greetings, guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. After listening to this great podcast, why don't we turn into our podcast? Knights of the Guild. The official fan podcast for the web series The Guild. Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. Also, we'll be updating you on the current season. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of Season 2. As well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.podbean.com. Zaboo! <laughs> Hi, I'm Rick Moyer, and I want to tell you about my brand-new podcast. It's called Take Him With You. Every week I talk about what's going on in my geeky little world of television, music, and in my faith. My hope is that in a world that can sometimes be really depressing, for at least a few moments you can be encouraged and smile a bit. So come check it out. www.takehimwithyou.com The weekly podcast that's spiritual, not religious. I'd love to have you listen. Thanks. How cool is this podcast? That means that you excellent people who are listening to this cool podcast are even more cooler. How cool is that? So once you finish listening to this podcast, why don't you come over to our podcast and give us a go? We're called Waffle On. You can find us on iTunes. Simply type in Waffle On or go to our webpage and you'll find us at http colon forward slash forward slash waffleon.podbean.com. We do TV. We talk about classic TV from 1960 to 1990. You'll find everything here, from sci-fi to comedy, from drama to thriller. Come and check us out. We're called Waffle On. (laughs) No, I don't think he likes you at all. (laughs) No, I don't like you either. (laughs) I love that. That is so great. That's good writing. Yes, because... It's not much dialogue. And because <clears throat> George Lucas didn't write all the <coughs> dialogue. <laughs> I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast, we would love to have you listen to ours, the Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. 